everybody and welcome to my first episode of my revamped podcast let's get mental formerly Lagaya means happiness um, as I discussed on my Instagram post that I put up a few days ago I am at a place in my postpartum journey where I feel like it's an, an it's at an acceptable end kind of meaning I still deal with it. I still take, you know, medication for it. I'm still in therapy for it. It's still very much, you know, a part of my life story, but it's not part of my current day life story as much as it used to be. And now that I work at NAMI, which is the National Alliance on Mental Illness, I have such a broadened perspective on mental health, behavioral health, mental health awareness, different mental health conditions and treatments. And just so many things, even the legal aspects and policy aspects of mental health that I would love to talk about on this platform. So I just thought it was the right time to transition and make this more broad and talk about different aspects of mental health and mental health conditions and treatments. So Lagaya Means Happiness will still be um, up on... Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can still listen to all of my episodes up until this point. But going forward, the podcast is going to be called Let's Get Mental. I'll be welcoming different guests to talk about different topics, different lived experiences, um, some peers of mine and people that I work with that I'm really excited to bring to my audience um, there's just so much to talk about when we talk about mental health and I've only discussed one part of it, one aspect of it, one condition for the most part over the last year and a half. And the one thing I do want to talk about today in reference to the journey that I went through with postpartum is honoring that journey and honoring all the journeys that people travel with mental health, because especially with mine, it was a long and arduous and storied journey. It had peaks and valleys. A lot of different characters came into play, a lot of different people that I was interacting with, trying to find my way through to get better and get on the other side. And I was working a few days ago and I was showing my team of support specialists that I manage at NAMI and I was showing them a video on Care Court, which is a new offering in California. I don't know if it's active in other states yet, but it allows people to put other people, may it be family or friends or somebody that they come into contact with, that they're close to that has a mental health condition and really needs help, but maybe they don't know that they need help. But Care Court allows people to sort of act as conservators on behalf of these people who suffer from severe mental health conditions and need help, and they can petition the court system to 
bring them into the system and get them the help that they need. And there's so many different opinions on care court, whether it's for or against, and it's definitely something for another episode that I want to talk about. Um, when I talk about policy in terms of mental health, but as I was showing this video clip to my team, I was looking at their faces and I was seeing the effect that it was having because it had different people talk about their own experiences. And one of the um, ladies that was on this specific PBS newscast had schizoaffective disorder, as does one of my peers that I work with. And we call each other peers because we all have some sort of mental health condition that we're struggling with. We all have some kind of lived experience. And that's why I'm um, eager to get one or two of them on this podcast because they're just great presenters and it's what they do. It's part of their job for NAMI is present their lived experience. And I would love to talk about some of these mental health conditions that people don't really know that much about, like schizoaffective disorder, which I hadn't actually heard about until I got to NAMI. I'd heard of schizophrenia, um, but schizoaffective disorder was something that I wasn't that familiar with. And at the end of this PBS news video about care court, the lady that's suffering from schizoaffective disorder just says every day is like a day trying to stay one foot in front of the devil. And it really affected one of my coworkers, one of my peers, um, one of the guys that I manage because he also lives with schizoaffective disorder. And he's also agreed to come on my podcast at some point. So I feel I'm at liberty to talk about his case um, just to say that he has it. And he said that the video really touched him because it reminded him that whatever struggles he's been through and whatever journey he thinks he's been through and has a bookend on and has kind of you know gotten through it and gotten to the other side, it can come back. And you're never, I think you're never completely free of the journey back from a mental health condition or the journey of having a mental health condition. Um, for me in particular, postpartum will always be a part of me, that postpartum anxiety and OCD that I went through for the better part of two years, I would say, even longer than that. Um, even to today, my husband sometimes says, you know, Lagaya, sometimes it's like me, you, and your anxiety. And I hate when he says that. That hits me really, really hard because that's just what you don't want to hear when you're somebody that's trying to get to the other side of something or somebody that thinks they've gotten to the other side of something. You almost feel like you're regressing when you hear something like that. But in thinking about it in a different way, it's also not necessarily regressing, but just acknowledging that that mental health condition is part of your life. Just like anxiety has always been part of my life. And I've always tried to stay one foot in front of the devil in terms of my anxiety. And my colleague has always tried to stay one foot in front of the devil in terms of his schizoaffective disorder. And that's what you're doing when you're healing from 
a mental health condition that's taken you down for a period of your life or taken some part of your life away from you or has threatened your quality of life for a period of time, you're just trying to get through it. Your mental health condition that makes you think that you're incapable of getting through or lies to you and tells you that you're going to be sick forever, that there's something really wrong with you that's never going to go away. I had someone tell me lately that, you know, the disease is the devil and the devil lies to you. And that's so true. And when my colleague was talking about how much this part of the care court clip resurrected with him in terms of staying one foot in front of the devil, I thought it totally resurrects with me too. And it probably resurrects with almost everybody that deals with a mental health condition. And in that way, I've really learned that we need to honor the journey of all the peaks and valleys that happen when you're sick and when you're trying to get better, all the people that come in and out of your life to try to help you, all the different treatments that you try. Like my last podcast episode back in December when I talked with Kat about ketamine and how we had both done ketamine infusions. Well, she did it with a lozenge and I did it with an actual, you know, infusion. And we talked about, you know, the good and the bad of that and, you know, whether it was beneficial or not for both of us. And then not long after Matthew Perry passed away of what looked like an overdose of ketamine and it shed all of this doubt and fear in the public about these ketamine treatments that had been previously viewed as like these wonderful new treatments that could help people with treatment resistant depression, anxiety, OCD, ADHD, all these different mental health conditions. But then Matthew Perry dies of a ketamine overdose and everyone's like, oh, ketamine's bad, but it's not. The thing is Matthew Perry, and I wanted to speak on this since I just spoke about, well, not just, it's been about a month and a half now and I've missed you guys, by the way. Um, but, you know, I just, we were just singing its praises, Kat and I, not long ago. And also saying that there are things about it that aren't that great. And also saying it's not the thing that's going to, it's not the cure-all for depression, for anxiety, for all these mental health conditions. It's just another treatment and it's another option. And that's all we want when we are not doing well with our mental health is options, coping mechanisms and options. And ketamine and psilocybin have become options and especially ketamine lately, these ketamine treatments. So Matthew Perry was actually going, so me and Kat, I'll go back. Kat and I had a series of treatments. So I had six treatments, which is the normal. And I believe Kat had three at the time that we spoke. I don't wanna misspeak. She'd had a couple, she was gonna have a couple more, I believe. And what you do is you go through the initial, you know, six treatments about, as I've, I've heard it. And then you kind of decide, you know, at what pace do you want to keep coming back or do you even need to come back? Or are you cured? In my case, I don't think I was cured, but I had experienced it enough to know what it could do for me and that I didn't necessarily need to keep coming back. And in Matthew Perry's case, I read he was going for daily infusions that's something I read and I think, you know, one of those, um, a magazine or on TMZ. So I could be wrong, but those are my great sources. 
um, TMC, but he was going for daily infusions and the uh, coroner found traces of ketamine in his stomach, which means he was ingesting it orally, which means he was probably taking it recreationally, which is not the way that ketamine is supposed to be taken. It should be supervised by a medical team any way that you do it, which is why I did it at a very well-known clinic in um, San Diego. And um, I was supervised by a nurse and a doctor and another doctor. And I did it six times by infusion. So none of it was gonna be you know, found in my stomach or anything like that. So it's different. And it, it appears that Matthew Perry was taking the ketamine as sort of a recreational drug to feel better. I have no idea. I am not close to Matthew Perry or his friends, but I, I, I do want to say that what Kat and I were speaking about in my podcast, during my podcast, was a very, very, very different experience that's medically supervised, that's done in a limited capacity, and either done, you know, through usually infusion through an IV or, you know, Kat did do it as a lozenge. So for her, you know, she did take it orally, um, but she only did a few sessions of it. And um, they're usually spaced apart too. So the fact that Matthew Perry was going like every day is is a lot. That's a lot of ketamine infusions. Um but I hear about these stars that like go every day and it helps them with their depression. So I mean, more power to them if they can afford it, it's expensive, it's not covered by insurance yet. So, you know, that demographic is definitely blessed in a way that they can go do that, but you don't wanna overuse it. And you obviously don't wanna use it in the wrong way. So I just wanted to touch on that quickly because I, you know, my last episode was about ketamine and the benefits of treatment. And just to say that what Kat and I were talking about, our experiences were, you know, medically supervised and very, very, very different from the case of Matthew Perry. And so when you're looking for treatments for your treatment resistant depression or just depression on its own, your anxiety, um, OCD, whatever the case may be that ketamine has been found useful for, don't think that it's dangerous just because Matthew Perry unfortunately died from it. Um, it it can be dangerous if you take too much of it and you take it the wrong way. But I'm advising, you know, that you go the medical route and have a medical team supervise you and really research where you're going and um, do a lot of research before you go. And then hopefully, you know, you do your one to six infusions. And then hopefully that helps you get to a point where you can stop going or maybe go, you know, much less frequently. And it can be very, very, very helpful. So I don't want all of this, like, you know, um, the kind of the shadow that was cast over that treatment by Matthew Perry dying to dissuade people who it could really possibly help. Um, not saying it's the cure-all uh, uh, by any means, but it's definitely something that can be helpful. So, yeah, so I'm rebranding. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a time in my life where I feel pretty fulfilled. I feel like I know how to be a mom. 
I, you know, I'm, I'm in a really good place in my relationship with motherhood and my daughter, my daughter, by the way, um, we were having a very hard time with potty training. So any parents out there of toddlers will appreciate this. Um, it was taking us a very long time to get her to go number two in the toilet. Sorry for the TMI for anybody that doesn't want to hear about this, but it was taking a very long time. And over the weekend, she did it. She did it like four times. There was nothing going on in the diaper or underwear. She did it in the toilet. And I'm telling you, I was taking a nap when she first did it. And I wake up to her like shaking me and saying, mommy, mommy, mommy. And I woke up and I was like, what, what is it? I was like in a haze. And she goes, and, her, and my husband goes, tell mommy what you did. And then I knew, you know, that that's what it was gonna be. And she said, I pooped in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so elated and so happy. And I know maybe this is TMI and maybe this is ridiculous to some people listening to this, but parents know your heart just swells with pride. I felt like my heart could jump out of its cavity. I was so proud of her. And I ran downstairs to see the remnants of it, if you will. And I was just so proud of her. And it was a huge, it's a huge milestone because we've been changing diapers for coming up on three and a half years now. And it's just a huge milestone for her to, you know, kind of grow up out of this baby phase and become, you know, a toddler who, who goes in the bathroom. I mean, this is just hugely freeing for parents. And so that happened. And there's just been a lot of transitions happening. I watch her grow every day. I wrote a poem on my Instagram page and put some pictures there of just the journey and how, you know, all I've been wanting to do over these past few years is get through my postpartum so that I could be a reliable, stable mother for my daughter so that she could look up to me, so that she could ask me questions, so that I'm there for her in these moments when she's got these milestones that she goes through. I mean, there was a time and everybody knows because, you know, anybody that's been listening to my podcast over the last year and a half, there was a time when I was almost certain that I was going to lose my family and I was never, ever going to be able to be the mother that I wanted or intended to be. And that was one of the darkest times in my journey. And getting back to kind of the crux of this particular episode and honoring the journey I would sit there and ask my therapist every day once I found one that I could talk to continuously. I would say, when am I going to get better? As if she knew, you know, when is this going to get better? This is excruciating, painful journey that I'm on with anxiety and OCD and intrusive thoughts and not being able to be fully present for my daughter when Am I finally going to feel better? And I would be in tears and I would be crying to her and I would be asking her this. And she never had a, you know, a concrete answer for me, but she would just say, you will get better. You will get better. And in NAMI at my job and listening, you know, answering certain warm line calls, doing outreach events and talking to people about their journeys, you know, whether it's something like they've watched a loved one who committed suicide and they're grieving and there's that journey 
or they have their own mental health condition that they're going through and it's that journey or they're an advocate or a parent of or a friend of or a sibling of somebody who's going through a mental health condition and they're trying to help them. There's that journey. And all the journeys are the same in that everybody wants to know how long, how long is this going to go on? Am I ever going to feel better? Are we ever going to get to the other side of this? Am I ever not going to wake up dreading my day because I know that I'm going to be in pain all day. I'm going to be anxious all day. I'm going to be depressed all day. I'm going to whatever. But it's so important to know that with all of these conditions, we're at this place where there's, I feel like we're on the precipice of there just being so many treatments, so many new ways to look at mental health conditions, to understand them, to understand how to do therapy for them, to understand how to treat them. Um, we're just like at this precipice where, you know, it's about to get a lot better and treatments are about to become more bountiful and access to care is about to get hopefully easier. And what I've always wanted to be on this podcast is an advocate for access to care. Because as I saw as a woman going through postpartum was that there wasn't that many resources for me. And I went through two treatment facilities, three treatment facilities rather, where they specialized in certain parts of what I was feeling, but not necessarily what I'm feeling altogether. And there was nobody that just specialized in postpartum. And there was nobody that just specialized in anxiety. And not until I went to the Lindner Institute in Ohio was there anybody that specialized in OCD. And there were other places that specialized in OCD, but I would have to have been gone for six to eight weeks and I just couldn't do that. The journey was long. The journey was long and just sometimes certain smells bring me back to certain treatment facilities or different moments during my journey. I look at pictures of my daughter all the time when she was just a few months old or I was going through this. And I miss that tiny baby that, you know, was chubby and breastfeeding with me and um, just so sweet and so innocent and didn't talk back to me yet. She's starting to talk back to me now. Um, but just cooed and was just this beautiful new life. And there's a part of me that really wants to have another baby. And I have to keep asking myself, do I want to have another baby because I want a redo on the whole time I had postpartum? Or do I want to have another baby because I truly want to raise another human? It's two very different questions. And I ask myself that all the time. I think I truly want to raise another human but there's an emphasis on the time that I missed with my daughter that I want back. <laughs> and it was also during the pandemic. So I didn't have the support that I normally would have had with friends and family. We thank God we had my mother-in-law with us, but we didn't have the support that we normally would have had with friends and family coming to visit and being able to be near us. And so there is a part of me that does want a redo on that. And 
you know, I, I understand why I want that. And I, I feel like I missed out in a way. So there are just different parts of the journey that I'm grateful for and parts I really could have done without. <laughs> but every part made the journey itself. And we have to live and exist through every part of it in order to get to the other side. And when I was writing this poem to my daughter, I said, you know, that I had learned to be strong in the journey, that I had learned how to mother, that I had learned how to love her, that I had learned that I needed to be strong for her and that she needed to be able to look to me to be free of this anxiety so that I could parent her. But it was a long journey and it took, you know, many years, many people, many disappointments. I would say just many disappointments. I can't even say that there were a lot of positive moments. <laughs> I mean, during the time, probably the 2021, especially, I was trying to stay one foot in front of the devil. Like I said earlier, I was like, I referenced earlier that PBS video, you know, and that my coworker can relate to as well with the schizoaffective disorder. You're just trying to stay one foot in front of the devil. And I sometimes look back and I don't know how I did it. And then sometimes I look back and I'm like, well, you totally fell apart and other people had to be there to pick you up. So that's how you did it. And does that make me any less deserving of getting to the other side? Does that make me any less strong as the person I am now? No. You know, my therapist likes to say it was a very intense time. You know, I say, oh, I fell apart. And she says, it was a very intense time. She has a much nicer way of saying, you know, what that time was for me. And the intensity was, it was like at a 12 out of 10. You know, it was at 100 out of 100. It was probably 125 out of 100 in intensity. I was just, every day was a struggle. Every day was a struggle and I would lean on my mom, and then I would lean on William, and then I would lean on his mom, and then I would lean on my therapist, and I would lean on another doctor, and another practitioner, and another provider. I mean, there was a time not too long ago where I was seeing a psychotherapist, an EMDR person to perform EMDR on me, um, a psychoanalyst, because my former therapist had been a psychoanalyst, and I missed him. I was still dealing with the grief of losing my therapist of 15 years when I really needed him, I felt. And then I had a psychiatrist who just dealt with my medication. That was part of my journey, you know, just having these people, all of these people to lean on. I was basically going from one doctor's appointment to another doctor's appointment to feel held, to feel like I wasn't gonna just fall because I had another doctor appointment to go to where rest assured, they're going to tell me I'm going to get better. Even if, if that doesn't happen for a couple more months, and even if I don't believe them completely, at least I can go there and be told that 
I will at some point in my life feel better. And when we talk about access to care, I had the best access to care. My case is the best case scenario when it comes to access to care. I have had, I've been blessed with having great insurance that covers a lot of what I've been through and also didn't cover a lot of what I went through. And in that case, I was very blessed to have a good job and my husband have a good job and us have the money saved up to be able to pay for certain things that the insurance wasn't gonna pay for. Not everybody is in that situation. And through working at NAMI and working and managing the team that manages the warm line, where we get like, I would say, when we open the warm line, for example, guys, the night that we open the warm line in the live chat for Cal Hope, that's what the name of my team is, the Cal Hope team for NAMI Los Angeles. And it consists of six peer specialists who are trained, including me, I'm the seventh, I don't normally work on the warm line, but the six that work under me do. And we are all trained peer specialists peer support specialists, and we know how to handle these warm line calls. And on the night that we opened the warm line in the live chat, we had 74 people calling and live chatting with us. 74. That's a lot. And since then, our weeks have kind of gradually come down and we now have like a steady flow of like 20, 25 people a week, I would say, that come through and they need to talk to us, maybe more than that. Um, but in answering some of those calls, I always wondered like who would call a warm line, you know, who would be that desperate that they would call a warm line and talk to a complete stranger about their innermost fears. Who's going to do that? Well, in a lot of cases, it's people who don't have access to care. It's people who don't have a therapist don't have a psychiatrist, don't have EMDR, aren't going through ketamine infusions, don't have a psychoanalyst, don't have the insurance for all of this, can't pay for it, don't have the savings, just need to talk to somebody, need to relate to somebody, need to know that they're not alone. And that's what NAMI is, is the basic message of NAMI is to spread that message that you are not alone. So my question quickly got answered, who calls a warm line? A lot of people call a warm line because that's their lifeline is that warm line. And to say that I have been impressed by my team that works for me and how empathetic and compassionate they are and knowledgeable, knowledgeable of what options there are available. I mean, if I had known to call NAMI when I was at the beginning of my struggle, they would have been able to help me. They wouldn't have been able to send me to a place that had the cure-all because there's no such thing. Something that I would like to work on someday is having a nonprofit where, you know, having a treatment facility where women can go with their babies so they don't have to leave their babies at home and get treatment. And it's fully dedicated to postpartum. That's my dream. We'll see. Don't steal it. Um, but, you know, I learned that a lot of people don't have that access to care. And they're the people that rely on things like warm lines and live chats and people to just be there for them and talk them through a really bad moment. 
And there have been some times where we have had to transfer to 988, which is the crisis line. There are times where we have had to involve the authorities because we think that there's a danger to this person's self or others if they don't get help. There are times that we've done a warm transfer to 911 to get them taken to the hospital, just to get some fluids, just to get some help, some eyes on them where we can't because we're not doctors. And it just changed my whole perspective on mental health and what a crisis it is in this country. And, you know, you look at Care Court and Care Court, you know, in the PBS special that I was referring to earlier, and also whenever you hear about it being talked about, they say that one of the things it's really trying to solve is homelessness. You know, taking care of the homeless people who are severely mentally ill, who cannot stand up for themselves, who cannot advocate on behalf of themselves. That's what care court is for. People are that are like, that are in those situations or in situations like that. So these are things, you know, there's that I've never would have known about. And at outreach events, you know, I've gone to different events and I've talked to so many people at this point as the team supervisor. I've had people walk right up to me and say, my son needs therapy badly. He's six years old. He's having bad thoughts, thoughts about dying. Where do I get a therapist for a child who talks about suicide ideation? What do I do? Questions like that specific. And I always say, you know, when I don't know the answer off the top of my head, I say, can I have your email address so that I have time to research this? And, you know, I can get with my team and research it as well. And then, you know, I will email you back a full and complete answer because I don't know is not good enough for someone who works at NAMI and is working with or on the warm line. So my perspective has vastly changed and has been broadened as far as what are the issues in mental health in this country you know, access to care is a huge one. Just awareness in general that this is a problem. Um, Destigmatizing the conversation. We work a lot on that at NAMI. Um, just making it a conversation we can have. You know, whether it's a conversation between two friends or it's a conversation on a school campus where kids feel free to say, hey, I'm not feeling good. I'm having weird thoughts. I need to talk to somebody. They can't be afraid to say that because if they're afraid to say that, they're not gonna get help and nobody's gonna be able to help them get through that. And they're just gonna continue not feeling good and feeling less than. And we just can't afford to have our gen next generation growing up like that, where they think that mental health is just something that, shh, we can't talk about it. So, Destigmatizing the conversation is another thing that I've always been an advocate for on my podcast, but it's something that now I'm very, very passionate about through my work. So in a nutshell, Lagaya means happiness represents my journey through postpartum. And 
I respect that journey so much. I learned so much on that journey through doing this podcast, through having guests, through having more lighthearted days where I talked about parenting with my best friends to having, you know, more really serious conversations about ketamine infusions with a psychotherapist who does psychotherapy assisted ketamine infusions and talking to professionals like that who do mental health as a living. You know, I learned so much and I had so much fun, honestly, just learning how to do a podcast and talking to you all every week for a while and then, you know, lessening it to every couple of weeks because doing a podcast is hard. It's very, it's very time consuming. So my hope with this, this new revamped let's get mental is to talk about a lot of topics that I never even touched upon in Legaya Means Happiness. I want to talk about all types of mental health conditions just to bring education and awareness to them so that people out there who are like, what's wrong with me? Like who maybe haven't gone to the doctor yet, don't want to go to a doctor, don't want to explore what might be wrong. Maybe they listen to this podcast and the light goes on and there, and there you go. And they're like, oh, maybe I have ADHD. Maybe I have anxiety. Maybe I have depression. And not to be so scared to have a mental health condition because I forget the statistic off the top of my head, but everybody is susceptible to having some kind of mental health condition at some point in their life. And they have to be ready to deal with it and they can't be so scared of it. Um, and that goes into destigmatizing the conversation and knowing where to go for help. And I wanna talk about all of that on Let's Get Mental. Um, I think one of the first things I'm going to do is talk about certain mental health conditions just to bring awareness to them and talk with people who actually have lived experience dealing with these conditions so that they can really talk about what it's like to live with that condition day to day and bring hope to those that may be also living with these conditions and, and maybe aren't as sure where to go for help or how to, how to frame your mind and how to think about it. I think that's also something that I have become much more adept at doing through working at NAMI and just being able to talk people down a little bit because they're spinning and they're spinning and they're spinning. Well, you need to redirect and reframe your mind so that it doesn't spin. And A, we know what we're dealing with and B, we know how to treat it. And the A and B is very hard sometimes. So I just want to talk about that. And I want to talk about policy and I want to talk about care court. And I want to talk about Senate bills that have to do with mental health that are currently passing. And I want to talk about the priority that mental health is or is not in this country and the difference between how we treat it in, in different states. It's so interesting, you guys. It's just so there's, there's endless possibilities of what to talk about on Let's Get Mental. And I'm very, very excited um, to share these stories, to share these guests with you. And I want to thank you, all of you who have listened to Lagaya Means Happiness over the past year and a half. I'm still going to talk about postpartum as it um, comes up because it still affects one out of eight women um, and needs to be spoken about and needs to be talked about. So I'm still going to have that in my heart and on my mind and I'm still going to talk about it from time to time. It's just not going to be the focal point of my podcast anymore. I want my podcast to be more broad, to service more perspectives, to talk to more people, 
And I really look forward to sharing all of this with you. So thank you from the bottom of my heart to all of you listeners and supporters who have listened to me from the beginning. And I hope that you find this next chapter um, as rewarding and as educating and as um, illuminating as Lagaya Means Happiness was, because that's my goal. So until next time, it's Lagaya with Let's Get Mental. I think I named it Let's Get Mental with Lagaya Lang Sevilla. So I put my whole name in there. Um, so until next time, I'm very glad to add this video as well to what I'm doing. It's something new that I'm trying um, to add the video components. You guys can see me when I'm talking to you. So here I am. And I'm very happy to be here and to be back on the audio waves, if you will. And thank you for joining me today. If you have any questions or want to get a hold of me, it is still Lagaya Means Happiness at gmail.com. By the next time I have this podcast, it will probably be Let's Get Mental or some sort of some aspect of that at gmail.com. That will be my primary way of getting a hold of me. I'm also um, now on Facebook and Instagram at Let's Get Mental, but it's L E T S S, so two S's, G E T M E N T A L. So let's get mental because, of course, Let's Get Mental was taken. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Let's Get Mental, trying to, um, trying to launch a TikTok right now. I haven't quite done that yet. And you can still reach me at happiness at gmail.com, soon to be Let's Get Mental at gmail.com. But please be a little patient with me there because I've got a lot of things I need to switch over, including my website. So with that, thank you so much for joining me. And I look forward to many more broad conversations about mental health and just many much more time spent with you. Thank you and have a great day. Mm-hmm.